Uh, okay, so, <laughs> I don't even know, like, I, I don't know where to start. Um, as Pastor Luke shared, we um, are starting a new sermon series this morning in the book of Romans. And Romans um, stands, as again, Pastor Luke shared, as one of those um, pinnacle uh, letters or books in the Bible where if you kind of track, if you're at all um, into church history and like major church leaders throughout the generations, right? Like guys like John Wesley or Martin Luther or even guys like St. Augustine, um, all, all of these like major moments and shifts in church history throughout generations in all corners of the world um, really in a lot of ways can trace their way back to a personal revival in the heart of someone who was encountered by the, the Spirit of God as they read through the truth of the book of Romans. Okay? And, um, and so there's a, little bit, uh, there's a little bit in me, right? Um, there's, you know, we, we approach things like this with a lot of trepidation, uh, meaning that we we want to we want to understand the the weight and the depth and the importance, both spiritual and theological importance of um, of what is offered to us by God in His Word. Uh, we don't ever want to take it flippantly. We always want to take it seriously, but we always want to deal with it um, with a with a um, with a humble and open heart to ask the Lord, Lord, would you speak to us through Your Word? And I. Um, we've been really praying through, in fact, for um, for virtually all of 2023, um, my my personal Bible reading and devotional life has been in the book of Romans, um, and just trying to like get this get this message of Paul written on the the tablet of the heart, right? And so it becomes a it becomes um, not just something we know right intellectually up here but it becomes part of the overflow of our the overflow of our lives and so uh, my hope is that um, we can take we're going to we're going to be here for quite a while we're going to be here up until advent so for the next 8 weeks we'll be in the book of romans and it's still not going to it's still not going to be long enough all right uh, there'll still be uh, much more that we could talk about um, but, um, yeah, we can't, we can't pray enough. We can't pray enough. So would you join me in prayer, um, one more time over, over this message and over God's word. Father, we are, uh, we are in awe. We are in awe of your word to us. Lord, I pray that you would help to develop in us a hunger and thirst for righteousness, Lord. Lord, and that in that hunger and that thirst, Lord, that we would be filled. Lord, I thank you for the message of Romans that, this, that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of salvation for all that believe. That there is no one that is outside of the power of gospel of the gospel there's no one that is too far from the power of the gospel lord and that the power of the gospel to save us lord is not something that we can earn something that we can work for or something that we deserve but it is for us from you a gift of your grace so lord i pray this morning that you would help us all to put on a cloak of righteousness that is a gift of a gift from Jesus to us, Lord. That we would be that we would be restored to a position of righteousness before you through our faith in Jesus, Lord, and that we may walk in the confidence of what you have done to transform our lives. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, some biographical information here. When we pick up uh, when we pick up our Bibles and we flip to different we flip to different um, chapters and verses we flip to different letters we flip to different books as we some sometimes call them it's important for us to be reminded that they actually did exist in a particular time 
and space, meaning that Romans was written by a guy to a group of people at a certain point in history. And it's important for us to kind of understand what the context of that writing is so that we can build some some framework or some scaffolding around it. And it, it will help us to maybe grasp some of the spiritual concepts, some of the, the theological concepts throughout and, um, and give us the give us the, the, the right information to correctly apply them, those things to our lives, all right? Because even though, yes, it did exist in a particular time and place and did have its own context and did have its own meaning, it's not without its application for us today in 2023, sitting in Jamestown, New York, okay? And my hope is that we can, uh, is that we can begin to um, discover a little bit of that uh, together, uh, Paul wrote this letter, the Apostle Paul wrote this letter to the church or churches in and around Rome in Italy in the mid to late 50s of the first century. Okay? So we're talking about a letter that was written somewhere, we would say like 20 to 25 years after Jesus had ascended back into heaven. And so, um, and so there, was a, there was a small generation or a small generational gap in there in between when Jesus resurrected from the dead and ascended back into heaven and when Paul um, wrote this letter to the Romans. He wrote it, um, likely we think, from the city of Corinth uh, or a neighboring city of Corinth while while he, was, while he was in the midst of planning a missionary final, kind of final voyage missionary trip to the city of Jerusalem. And then he was going to go back up to Rome to visit the church there. And then his plan after he visited the church, the church in Rome was to take the gospel and to take it into the far outer reaches of the known world at that time and the information that the best information that we have is that Paul was heading towards what would now be considered the country of Spain. And so Paul had great ambition to take um, the gospel, the thing that transformed his life, and to take it into the main centers of the world, including Rome at that time, but even further and beyond. He took the words of Jesus seriously when Jesus said all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me therefore go into all the world baptizing people in the name of the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to obey all that I have commanded to um, to you take this message into, into Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth Jesus told his followers in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that Paul was taking this message very very seriously What's interesting about Romans that's a little bit different than many of the other letters of Paul is that Romans, Romans is not particularly topical as the letter goes on. Meaning like if you read the letter to the Corinthian church, 1 and 2 Corinthians, you will see that Paul grabs several different topics to talk about along the way. He talks about the body of Christ, and he talks about the nature of love, and he talks about the orderliness of worship, and he talks about sexual ethics and morality, and he talks about this, and he talks about that, he talks about this, and he talks about that. It's kind of like, okay, here are the things we need to talk about. Let me list them and talk about them. Well, Romans is kind of not like that at all. It's not topical in little sections. Romans is a, is a complete argument, argument, it is a complete message from verse 1, chap chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to the very last verse. That Paul, Paul, creates a, Paul creates a singular message from the start and to the beginning. And if you ask, and if you're, if you're kind of like geek out on theology, like maybe Pastor Luke and I do, it's like it's a masterful, masterful, like it's a masterpiece in communicating the, the central truth of the gospel. 
All right? um, and that's why it's been so powerful and important throughout the course of church history. Now, we want to let you, I'm going to let like the cat out of the bag right now. There's no point in hiding or masking this point any further. Romans has a main point. It has one main point, and it is the point upon which Paul builds the whole letter, and the point upon which not just Paul builds his own letter, but it is the point upon which you and I can build our very lives. And it's this. The gospel of Jesus Christ is the power of God for salvation for all that believe. That is the message of Romans. That is the lifeblood of Paul, is that the gospel of Jesus Christ is the very power of God for your salvation, for my salvation, for everyone's salvation that believes. Now, he, we're going to, like, I mean, we could just stop there, and I could stop there and be like, that's the point. Go read it. Go, go, go explore how right? Man, my job is easy, right? Just go read it. Um, but Paul has many different, has, has a lot of context around him too, okay? And he's got, he's got kind of two groups of people who are not necessarily fighting over whether the gospel saves them and whether the gospel saves them or who the gospel for or is for or who the gospel isn't. But in a way, Paul begins to unpack many of the contemporary walls that the world puts up in between people and the saving gospel of Jesus Christ, and then he seeks to tear those walls down. Okay? That's a lot of what, uh, a lot of what um, this letter of, uh, to the Romans is. Okay? Um, so listen, if we talk about the main point of Romans being that the gospel is the power of God for the salvation of all those that believe. We need to have at least some universal or like some basis foundational understanding of what is even meant by the word gospel. Right? Sometimes we take for granted in the Christian community that we can just use these words, right? And that and that we all know what we're all talking about. Right? And that we all know what it means. And that we all know what, uh, when, when the gospel, when we talk about the gospel, what, what is it? Right? Um, and so I don't want to take any of that, I don't want to take any of that for granted this morning. All right? So if you, um, if you know what the word gospel means and you know its use in the Bible, then just uh, pray me through this, okay? All right? Uh, for, the, for the benefit of us that don't know. What is the gospel? In the Bible, well, the gospel is a word um, that literally means the definition of the word gospel in its original form is the defini- is the definition is good news. So the gospel equals good news, and you would think, well, okay, well that's a great word. Where that's a great definition. Where did that word and where did that definition come from? It's actually not a word that was, um, that was unique to Paul or that was unique to faith at all. The word gospel was a common word that was used in the culture of that time and even before to denote or to define any type of good news that was proclaimed from anyone at all. In fact, one of the most common uses for the word gospel was in um, was in the military of the Roman of the of the Roman military. All right, they would have as the as the Roman military would go out and conquer other lands and conquer other people and expand their kingdom and their territory. They had a unit of their army that was that was called for lack of a better term gospel runners right be a great name for like a running club today or something like that but they were called gospel runners and um and what their job was um was to when the roman army or a roman legion experienced victory on the field of battle 
it was that it was that unit's job and responsibility to run physically run back to the main army or back to Rome itself to deliver the good news of the victory of the kingdom of Rome. They were going to come back and they were going to stand up on a stool and they were going to say, we have great news. We are victorious. And that was their job. Right? Beautiful are the feet of those who bring the good news. If you've ever heard that Bible verse out of the uh, book of Isaiah, right? Beautiful are the feet of those of the one that bring the good news. They brought the good news of victory over their enemies, and they wanted everyone to know. And so the word gospel would not be an unfamiliar word with those who are hearing it in the life of Paul in the letter to the Romans. They would have understood exactly what it meant. And so when we use a word like, when we use a word like this, I am not ashamed of the good news, Paul says. If we use, if we use our definition or our understanding of what Romans was all about, that the gospel is the power of God for salvation that, for all that believe, we could say something like, hey, we've got great news for you Great news that there is salvation for all that believe. That in God, that there is salvation for all that believe. Um, but it's important to understand here even how Paul was taking this word from the Roman culture and utilizing it to communicate this deeply spiritual truth about the good news of Jesus Christ. Because if we don't understand how Paul understood the word gospel, it's difficult for us to move forward in understanding how it's used within the letter. Paul, Paul lays it out in the first like six or seven verses of the book of Romans, of the letter to the Romans, all right? So if you have your Bible, my encouragement to you would be to like put a bookmark in Romans because we're going to be here for the next two months, okay? You can get there. Uh, you get there quickly. Romans is in the New Testament of the Bible, okay? which is uh, the back of your Bible. And um, I would also encourage you, we don't talk about this a whole lot. I try to remember to say it when I can. Number one is, if you don't have a Bible of your own, and you want a Bible, or you need a Bible, there is likely one in the pew, in the seat with you, that belongs to the church, but now it belongs to you. Okay, If you don't have a Bible, and you want one, Take the one that is in the seat with you. It's yours. Underline it, highlight it, bookmark it. It's yours. We want you to have your own personal copy. I would say this also. In the age of everything on your phone, right? Here's my advice as your pastor. Keep the Bible off your phone. Well, no. Put the Bible on your phone, but carry with you this. Amen. Carry with you this. Yes. Paper right? A binding, right? Um, and, and not only carry, carry it with you and use it in your personal study and in your personal devotion, but, but bring it here with you. Because when we open the Bible here and we study the Bible, I don't, as much as I want to tell you, as much as I trust myself, right? And as much as I trust Pastor Luke, right? it is wisdom to, it is wisdom to see the truth of God's word with your own eyeballs in the Bible, right? Because you are not reliant upon myself or Pastor Luke or any human being to read with confidence the word of God for yourself and have the spirit of God speak its truth into your, into your heart, okay? And I believe it's important that as we study the word together, that you see it in the Bible for yourself. That you understand it for yourself. That you engage with it your, yourself, right? And there is a strong sense of, there is a familiarity that comes with one's, one's own personal Bible, right? For the last 19 years now, my very first church, I was 21 years old when I became a pastor, Right? I didn't know nothing about nothing. 
okay? Uh, but my, the first church that I ever pastored, they gave me a gift when I became their pastor. It was this Bible, okay? This Bible right here. It's been rebound once, right? But this is the only Bible I've ever preached out of as being a pastor. And I will tell you that, yes, I know where the books of the Bible are just by, like, consistency in studying the Bible, but most passages that I'm familiar with in the Bible, I just know where on the page they are, right? I know where Romans 3.23 is in my Bible because I know like it sits in the middle of the page on the left-hand column or the right-hand page right there, right? And I have it underlined and I have it starred and I have like arrows to other parts of it, right? There's a familiarity that comes with your own copy of the Scripture. And that's why I'm passionate about you having your own and bringing it, okay? I'm going to start giving gold stars for people who bring their Bibles. Anyway, here we go. Um, Also... Are you happy that the name tags are back? We took them away after we ran out, thinking that you'd be sick of them by now, and then you all were like, where are the name tags? We want the name tags back. Bring us the name tags. So we ordered more. Okay. What is the, what is the gospel according to Paul? Romans chapter 1, okay? Right at the beginning. Romans 1, 1 through 6. Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart, listen, set apart for the gospel of God. So Paul here saying in his opening letter to the Romans, I I am an apostle. I have been set apart for the good news of God. Meaning like, Paul's like, this is the reason that I exist. This is the reason that I was born. This is the reason that I am here. This is the reason that God had called me out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. I exist for the good news of God. And then he says, and here's what that is. Verse 2. The gospel that he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scripture regarding his son who as to his human nature was a descendant of David and who through the spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we have received grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. Paul lays out in the first seven verses here, the first five or six verses, exactly what he believes that the gospel is or how he is talking about the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news of God found in the gospel is the long-planned mission of God in Jesus Christ, going all the way back, recorded in Scripture, the prophets way before him. It was the long-planned mission of God in Jesus Christ to defeat the power of death through the resurrection of Jesus and to call people from all nations and all tribes and all languages to faith and obedience to God through the motivating presence of God's grace. Paul says that, hey, look, God has had a plan for the redemption of the world long before anyone ever realized it, recognized it. We can look back into the scripture and we can now see it. And that plan was the defeating of sin and death through the resurrection of the Holy Son of God. And now that we uphold the resurrection of the Holy Son of God, we are calling all people to faith and obedience to God through His grace. And this is how Paul approaches the whole of the, um, whole of the letter to the Romans. Now, in these first couple, in these first couple um, chapters of Romans, um, Paul... Paul sneaks in these two verses, right? And these two verses, um, they end up kind of summarizing the whole of the book and the whole of the argument, even though we don't really believe that Paul was trying to do it at that point. He just kind of, like I often do, will give you the main point right at the beginning. So he know, you know 
where he was going. So um, in Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, we see what Paul meant when he talked about the gospel. The defeat of sin and death through the resurrection of the Holy One of God, Jesus Christ. The mission of God to call all people into obedience and faith through his grace to that very reality. Okay? But now, if we move ahead in that chapter, we see between verse 6 and between, between verse 15 that Paul is just doing some introductory comments. Man, I long to come to you, Paul says, so that we, uh, you, the church in Rome, me here as an apostle, can be a mutual encouragement in our faiths to one another. And then he says this, he drops this in verses 16 and 17 of Romans chapter 1. He says this, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and then for the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. A righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written. The righteous will live by faith. If there is anything that we need to know about the letter to the Romans, it's going forward. It's found in these two verses. That, that the gospel of God is the power of God for the salvation of all who believe. First for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For in this gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed. And the righteousness that is revealed is by faith from first to last. And you're thinking like, well, what in the world does that even mean? Well, that is, the mess, that, that is the thing that we'll be talking about for the next eight weeks, right? What exactly does that even mean? A righteousness that is by faith. Um, we're going to touch on it a little bit this morning, all right? But um, really what I want to do is just highlight these two verses because it is the central, it is the central, um, it is the central message of the book of Romans, but not only is it the central message of the book, book of Romans, it is the foundation for what we believe as Christian people. That the gospel, of, the gospel of God through Jesus Christ is the power of salvation for all that believes. No matter where you come from, no matter where you've been, no matter what you're going through, no matter what you've been through, no matter what your faith background is or isn't or hasn't been or has been or will be, that the gospel of Jesus Christ holds the power for your salvation. That it is that in, in, in the gospel, in the gospel alone, that transforms your life. And, and, and Paul is the perfect person to declare this message. He is, in fact, maybe the only one who had the integrity to even make that statement at this point of his life by saying, hey, look, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Paul um, was an interesting person, <laughs> a really interesting person. And Paul was um, standing up essentially and saying, hey, look, um, I have really great news. Uh, salvation is found in no one else. Now, the book of Acts, Acts chapter 4, verse 12 says that salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven which, by which we must be saved, or the name of Jesus Christ. And Paul stood firmly upon that proclamation that he has no reason to be ashamed whatsoever to make that proclamation and to make it to anyone that would listen, Jew, Greek, slave, free, man, woman, rich, poor, that Paul would always stand boldly before anyone that would listen and say, hey, look, the gospel of God is the power of salvation for all that believe. I don't care who you are. I don't care where you've come from. I don't care what you've experienced or will experience in your, in your future. It is the gospel of Jesus Christ that will save you from everything that entangles you. 
But what was the reason that Paul could so adamantly declare that he was not ashamed of the gospel? Because I'm going to tell you sometimes, even as a pastor, there are moments where, um, you know, Christians have a, Christians do a really, really good job of just hanging out with Christians a lot, right? And, we, and sometimes we have to intentionally make the decision to be on mission in the world that we're in by surrounding ourselves with people that need what we have. They might not even know that, they, that, that the thing that we have is the thing that they need, right? But the gospel in us, right, is the exact, it's the, it's the missing puzzle piece that they're wondering, why do I got this giant gaping hole in my soul that I've been trying to fill with every other thing in life and the more I stuff in there, the more empty I feel. And that's when we are like, it's the gospel. Right? The reason you're still empty, right, is because you've been filling it with empty promises from the world that just do this and it'll be okay. Just do this and you'll finally feel like you have purpose. Just do this and all of the depression and anxiety and lack of purpose and everything that you ha have struggled with all your life, it will all melt away. And Jesus is over here being like, I am the only thing that fits in that place in your life. And until the world hears it from us, they're not going to hear it from the world. They're not going to hear it from the world. They must hear it from us. Why? Because we possess it by faith. We possess the message of the gospel by faith. And Paul was standing here and being like, I am not ashamed of the gospel. I am not ashamed to say it. I am not afraid to tell people, that's the thing that you're missing. This is the direction that you need to go. When you repent of your sins and surrender your life to your creator, Everything, everything changes. It's all transformed from there on out. And Paul was able to say it unashamedly, not because he had some sense of like theological intellect or intellectual superiority over everyone that didn't believe it. Although Paul in other places in scripture remarked about how like accomplished he was as a Pharisee as a Jew, right? He was the Jew of all Jews, he said, right? In, in, in regards to adherence to the law of God, he was near faultless. But he says in Philippians chapter three, but whatever was, whatever, was to my, uh, whatever was to my prophet, I now consider a loss for the surpassing grace of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord and him crucified. It was not that Paul understood the power of the gospel from a theoretical, intellectual, educational standpoint. Like, oh, all we need to do is get more information about God and we will be transformed. Listen, we have never had more access to more information, spiritual or not, in any time point in history of the world ever. You can get any bit of information that you want at the literal click of a button on a supercomputer that sits in your pocket most days. But we have never lacked for godly wisdom like we lack for it now. We have more information at our fingertips and we have less godly wisdom than we've ever had. And why? Well, see, the reason, that, the reason here that Paul was able to unashamedly say that he believed in the power of the gospel was not because he had more information than the guy next to him, right? It was because Paul himself had been radically changed through the power of the gospel. It was the experience of the resurrected Jesus Christ changing who Paul was that made him so firm and secure in the proclamation of like, how could I possibly be ashamed from this message? Because it is the very message that has changed me from first to last. It is the very message that has taken me from the worst of worst of worst of all persecutors of the church to arguably the most prolific church planter and apostle the New Testament church had ever seen or ever will see. 
Paul was unashamed of the gospel because he understood firsthand its power to save us unto salvation. And if the power of the gospel was enough to redeem him, the power of the gospel was enough to redeem anyone. None of us are ever ashamed to share extraordinarily good news in our lives with someone else, right? Because when we receive it and we understand it as truly good news for us, what reason do we have to be ashamed? Zero. In fact, it's so good to us that we want to tell everyone how good it is. Think about the last time that you got what you would consider to be really, really, really good news. We were like, man, I need to keep this good news a secret. <laughs> no, you're like, I want to tell someone this is fantastic news. And for Paul, listen, Paul understood so clearly the depth of his sinfulness, the depth of his separation from the Lord, that when Jesus Christ, the resurrected Jesus Christ, came and met him on that road to Damascus and transformed him in an instant by, the present, by his own presence, that, that Paul was like, this is such incredible news. How could I possibly not share it? It's an important point here. How was Paul saved? It's not a part of the message. It is, but it's not. How was Paul saved? Was Paul saved because he studied the scriptures and came to, came to some superior intellectual knowledge of who Jesus was? Was Paul saved because he listened to the greatest, latest, greatest podcast or he read the book, he read the, the one book from that famous Christian writer or he listened to Christian radio all the time or he came to church every Sunday or he served or he gave or he volunteered, whatever. Was Paul saved through any of those things? Paul was not saved through any of those things. Paul was saved by one thing and one thing alone. He, he, was, he was knocked over by the actual presence of the resurrected Jesus Christ himself. And as he encountered Jesus in a real life changing way. His life was transformed. He wasn't transformed because he was smarter. He wasn't transformed because he had more information. He was transformed because he met Jesus. And it was in proximity to Jesus that his life was transformed. You want to know why our number one goal here is to get you into the presence of Jesus? Because it's in the presence of Jesus that your life goes from the worst of the worst of all people that it could be to the most prolific of church planters that the church has ever known. We have one goal for you, and that's to get you around Jesus. You don't need to be discipled by me. You don't need to be discipled by Jesus or by Luke. <laughs> You need the power of the Holy Spirit in you through faith in Jesus Christ so your life can be transformed. That's the only way, church. It's the only way. It's the only thing that makes the difference. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Okay? We know why he wasn't ashamed. Verse 16. Because it is the power of God. The gospel is the power of God. The good news of Jesus Christ is the power of God. I don't know about you, but I, um, kind of what I was already saying is that we are bombarded with so many resources um, that want to help us change. Right? How many self-help books can you see? Like, could you possibly ever read? How many, how many podcasts could you listen to, right? How many support groups could you be a part of? I'm not saying any of those things are bad. I'm not saying any of those things have, or that all of those things have no purpose in, in, um, in your transformation and in the development of your walk with Jesus. I'm not saying any of that, right? What I am saying here is that when we rely on anything else but the gospel of Jesus Christ, we rely on something that is ultimately powerless to change us. Ultimately powerless to change us. It is, it is empty 
and devoid of real transformative power. And we're always searching for the most powerful ways to get things done, right? Where did this power come from for Paul? Well, we talked about this already. It came from this life-altering counter with the resurrected Jesus Christ. It's the thing that transformed Paul from the worst of all sinners to the most prolific of all church-planting saints. See, because what the world says, what the world will want to say to you is, hey, listen, if you need to change, you got things about your life that aren't going well, you have things that are um, creating or causing or nurturing patterns of sin in your life. You have things that are, um, that are consistently encouraging you to walk away from the Lord, to walk in a different direction, right? That all we really, all you, re- listen, you're basically good, okay, the world says. You're, you're basically good. You just need a few behavior modifications. You just need a few tweaks. You just need to read Atomic Habits. You just need to change the prioritization of your life. You need to get up 30 minutes earlier, right? You need to go to bed 30 minutes sooner. You need to change your diet. You need to think positive thoughts, right? And what it does is the world deceives us into thinking that making these small behavior modification um, changes in our life is all the power that we need to completely be transformed, right? But what it fails to recognize is that deep within each of us is a seed of sin that has grown into a giant tree that is causing death in our lives. Until we address the thing that brings us death, we can never experience life. You can never experience transformation. You can never experience um, change. The world says, hey, look, just try harder. Just try harder. I don't know how many times I've just tried harder. I don't know. I don't know how many new journals I'd be like, oh, this is the journal that's going to change my life this week, right? This year. 2024 is coming. I can't wait to get that new planner. This is going to be the thing, right? It's going to be the new, the planner is going to be the thing that changes my life this year, right? It's leather. It's brown. It feels nice, right? This has got to be it, right? Do we or do we not settle for things of the world that are so small and minuscule thinking that this is just, this has got to be the missing piece of the puzzle in my life. This is the thing that's going to make the difference. Listen, the world is without power to change us. The world is without power to change us. Yes, you might make changes in your calendar. You might make changes in your schedule. You might make changes in a few, a few um, behavioral modification changes here. But listen, if we do not address the root of sin that is within us, we will never experience true transformation. We are powerless to change on our own. The power for change is in the power of the gospel. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for what? For the salvation of everyone who believes. Yeah, but pastor, when Paul, when Paul says it is the salvation for everyone who believes, I'm not sure Paul knows where, where I've been. I'm not sure Paul knows what I'm dealing with. I'm not sure that Paul really understood what I'm hiding from those around me. And, and not only me, but listen, Paul, there are people that are like a lot worse than me. And I don't, I'm not really sure that, uh, I'm not really sure that uh, the gospel is for them too. So listen, in Paul's context, so the time and the place where Paul was right here, um, and in the letter to the Romans, uh, we're going to see him talk about essentially two groups of people, okay? We're going to see him talk about Jewish people, the covenant, the covenant nation, the covenant people of God, 
who had the Old Testament law, who had the promises of God for land and inheritance and people and blessing, right? The Jewish people. And then we're going to talk, we're going to see him talk about everyone who's not Jewish, us, the Gentiles, right? And really a huge, huge part of the letter to the Romans is Paul jamming into the intellect and jamming into the spirit of everyone that will listen that, that the Jewish Messiah, Jesus, has made salvation available not just to God's chosen people, but to those dirty Gentiles too. That God didn't come to just save the religious people among us, but that God has come in Jesus Christ to redeem the whole of the creation to him, to himself, both Jew and Gentile. This is the everyone that Paul talks about. Now listen, we don't really have a strong Jew versus Gentile context in Jamestown, New York. Okay? We don't, we don't really think of it in that way. So this point may be lost on us a lot. Right? The, 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 the intensity of what Paul is talking about here might be lost on us because we don't really have a box to put that in. Like, oh, oh Jew, Gentile, right? Yeah, okay, I get it. Bible stuff. But we still do have this group and that group. The names and the labels on the groups have changed. But the sentiment in the heart has not. That there are those who are in and that there are those who are out. That there are those to whom God actually came and that there are those who definitely, they just, they if they just clean up their life a little bit, then God will accept them into his presence, right? How do we know that to be true? Well, we know it to be true anecdotally by the way in which a lot of people who um, have not received faith in Jesus Christ talk about, uh, for instance, the experience of coming to church. Right? Like, uh, I mean, I hear, the, I hear it all the time, right? Like, um, yeah, I'm just gonna I need to get my life together a little bit, and like I just need to change some things, and then, and then I will come. Then I'll, I want to come and join you at church sometime, right? What's the assumption? The assumption is that before I'm welcome in a place like that, in a place that represents the heart and character of God, I need to change who I am first. You know, many of you know that I. Uh, I do jiu-jitsu, teach jiu-jitsu for the last, I don't know, decade or so. It's been one of the greatest joys of my life. I have amazing friendships there. Um, but I hear all the time, too. Someone that learns that I teach jiu-jitsu will say something like, oh, man, that's so cool. You know what? I, I'm going to go, and I, I'm going to hit the gym for a while, and I'm going to get in shape and uh, I'm going to get strong. I'm going to get my cardio up. Then I'm going to come. Then I'm going to come start jujitsu. And we're like, bro, you got it. Like, back, like, I know you're in shape or not in shape. I know you're not strong. I know you don't have cardio. I know you don't have to. I know you don't know how to fight. Come, get those things over here. That's, that's what you're here for, right? And even Jesus says in the gospel, is it the, is it the healthy that go to the doctor? Like, Man, I'm super healthy. I'm feeling really great. Better make a doctor's appointment. <laughs> but no, it's like, like no, I am sick. I need, I need help. I need, I need changed, right? Now is the time to go. So we know this, even if we say in our heads, well, that's not how we feel. That's not how the world is. There's not people that are in. They're not, there's not people that are out, right? And what I'm going to say is that um, even despite, even the most hospitable among us has sinful bias. And the quicker that we can enter into a spirit and posture of humility over those that we think are out and those that we think are in, 
the sooner and more completely that the Holy Spirit of God can burn that out of us and we can be people who proclaim unashamedly that the gospel is for everyone. I don't care if I like you. I don't care if I, I agree with you. I don't care if, you're, if I have anything in common with you. Like, we could be so totally separate. But what I do believe is this one thing, is that if the gospel is for me, man, the gospel is certainly for you. We still do have, even though we don't have the Jew and the Gentile, we still do have the, the those, the them, the others, the ones that are not like us or the ones that we don't think the gospel can save or will save. We have, we have the mentally ill. We have the poor and the rich. We have the addicts. We have the liberals. We have the conservatives, the Democrats. We have the Republicans. We have this. We have that. We have voting for this and voting for that, standing for this and standing for that, living here or living there, but what, the, but what walls the world puts up, the gospel of Jesus Christ is actively jackhammering down. Every single wall, every single label, every single thing that the world wants to do to put walls up in between people, the gospel is actively working to tear those walls down so that the message of salvation through the gospel of God is available to all. So listen, every time you hear, even in your own mind and in your own spirit, yeah, but not them. Or, yeah, but not me. Not with what I'm going through, not with what I'm dealing with. Anytime you hear that creeping into your head, be reminded this morning that the gospel is actively tearing down that wall to rush towards the very people that you feel are out of reach and receive the encouragement this morning to believe that if you are the person that you think is out of reach through the power of the gospel, that the Holy Spirit of God is actively working to tear down that wall so that you know that it is for you if you were the only person in this entire world that Jesus still would have gone to the cross, that Jesus still would have been resurrected from the dead, that Jesus still would have proclaimed freedom for all his creation, even if it was just for you. I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. In verse 17, for in the gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last, just as it is written, the righteous will live by faith. Here is where the theological rubber hits the theological road <laughs> for Paul. Okay? It is in the discussion of or the communication about um, righteousness. What is righteousness? Because Paul obviously says here that in the gospel... In this good news, a righteousness from God is revealed. It's important, and like righteousness is a topic that runs all the way throughout Romans, and so um, this is just like a sliver of introduction to what righteousness is, okay, and how the conversation about righteousness is going to go. Don't be like, oh, that's all? That's all we're going to talk about it? No, we're going to be talking about it for the next seven weeks, okay? Well, listen, um, Rome... The context that Paul was writing in and to, Rome was the seat of, in the modern world, the seat of justice. It upheld itself as the seat of governmental justice, right? Due process, the rule of law, all of these things. Um, the legal system, the guilty, and the innocent. It was woven into the fabric of their culture, and it was inescapable in their language. The idea of righteousness. Now, 
Um, what we might tend to think is that the word righteous is a purely spiritual term. And it actually wasn't. Um, righteous was actually a legal term. And the word righteous was, the, was a person's status that was declared uh, of the person who argued a case successfully in the court of law. Meaning if you had like an accuser and you had a defendant and they both argued their case to the judge and the judge says, it is this person that is found to be the righteous person. It was not an indication of their ethics. It was not an indication of their, of their morality. It was an indication of their status before the justice of the judge that said, you have been found true. You have been found righteous. You might be the most horribly unethical, immoral person in all of the world, but in this case right here, you've been found righteous. You have been found to be true. The world really didn't have much to do with morality or ethics at, at all or how good your behavior or conduct, conduct was. But what, Paul is, uh, but what Paul is going to argue in Romans is that in the court of God's kingdom, our status has been declared unrighteous because of our sin. I think the last page of my sermon is right there. Thank you. That we, you and I, we have broken God's law, the just judge. We have rebelled against his love, as the communion liturgy reminds us. And we do not have the ability to change our status before God on our own. And so any righteousness that we may have in, in comparison to or standing before the judge any righteousness that is ours must be a righteousness that we receive from somewhere else because we do not have any righteousness of our own. Put simply, to be set right and true in status before God, we need someone righteous to stand in our unrighteous place. The good news, the good news that the gospel proclaimed, the great news, the wonderful news, the good news that the gospel proclaimed is that what belongs to Jesus Christ, his righteousness before the Father, is made available to us by faith. That our, our eternal status not our behavior, but our eternal status before the judge and God of all creation is a status of righteousness. Not because of what we've done, not because of what we can do, not because we have earned it, but because, of, because through faith, Jesus has offered his perfect righteousness to us as a gift. Righteousness becomes a cloak that we put on so that when God looks at us, he sees Jesus. He sees Jesus. Paul, Paul continues this like main point, not just in Romans, but all the way throughout all of his letters to all of his churches. Two examples here, and then we're going to close. In Philippians chapter 3, verse seven, verses 7 through 9, he says these words here. He's talking beforehand about how, like, how great of a Jew he was, how moral and ethical, how perfectly he kept the law, right? How if anyone was to be considered righteous before God, it would be him because of how morally upright he was. And then he says this, but whatever was to my profit... I now consider that a loss for the sake of Jesus Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss 
compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them rubbish, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Listen, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Jesus Christ. A righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. That, that righteousness is a gift that is given to us from Jesus Christ through faith. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he says the same thing. He says, God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I want to leave you with a few questions this morning, okay? And then we're going we're gonna to take communion together. Anyone from Friday time me? Friday night, the family meeting, I promised that I was going to preach for 45 What's that? Okay, all right. <laughs> Thank you, Larry. I took my watch off to change the time and change the date, and then I left it down there, and so I'm blaming my watch. Here's the questions. Number one, how convinced are you in the power of God for salvation? It's an honest question. Not a rhetorical one. It's an honest question for you to journal about, write on, pray on, think on. How convinced am I in the power of God for salvation, even for me? Number two, what has been, our prim what has been your primary method of change in life? Is it the new soft, supple leather planner at the beginning of the year that's just going to change everything? And maybe all of those things that it represents, are you ready to essentially give up striving and trying on your own to experience change and transformation and ready to take a step towards the presence of Jesus, that he can truly transform who you are. Number three, what Jesus has, the thing that Jesus has, he gives to you. In the perfection of his holiness, he has been declared righteous before the Father. He is the only one that is righteous. His righteousness is offered to you as a gift through faith. But, but the, gift, the gift of righteousness through faith in Jesus Christ also gives us an opportunity to ask the question, how will I respond back to God in light of the gift of righteousness that I have received? I'm going to tell you, Paul has an answer for that very question later in the book of Romans. Where he says, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. As God offers to you the righteousness of Jesus Christ, what is it that you will offer back to him? Lord, we speak the name of Jesus. There is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus. It is the power of God for salvation for all that believe. For me, for them, 
for us all. Lord, and so we don't just speak the name of Jesus, we cry out the name of Jesus. Jesus, that you would be magnified and glorified in our lives. Lord, we turn to you. We turn to you, Lord, for our salvation. Father, we are done trying on our own. Lord, that the power of God in the gospel be the power for salvation. In Jesus' name, amen. Conduit, you are loved. I hope you have a great week. Please, please, please go out to the foyer and enjoy some, uh, enjoy some snacks before you leave.